0: I was told by students about if they were interested in be- becoming a music educator. I said this I said, you will get tired, you will get frustrated, but you'll never feel like your life didn't matter.
1: Welcome to Sing, Coach, Conduct, the podcast for singers and singing teachers. Hello, singers and singing teachers. Welcome to another episode of Sing, Coach, Conduct. I'm your host, Megan Farrison. As a choir director, I feel like most of us know Roger Emerson as the prolific composer and arranger of choral music. He's been doing this work for decades, and I know I can rely on Roger to create music that is interesting and educational, but also accessible for my students. One of the things that struck me about Roger was his sense of humility. Uh, You'll hear when we laugh in the beginning um, when I call him the world-renowned musician. He's just doing what he loves and he followed the path that was kind of set before him. Um, The people that he came in contact with, like Kirby Shaw, before the world knew Kirby Shaw. It's a really great story and we talk about his music and writing process, his latest projects with Hal Leonard, including his new vocal method books for uh, every voice type. We talk about the dreaded copyright issue. Uh, There's just lots of great stuff in this episode, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. And I can't believe it, but after two short months, we are already on our 10th episode of this show. I want to say thank you to the listeners who have been supporting the show, um, which are you if you're listening to the show right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Those of you that have offered feedback and shared stories with me about how the show has impacted your life in a positive way. At this point, we have listeners all over the country. So wherever you are listening, I'm grateful you're here. Well, hello, Roger Emerson. I am so incredibly grateful that you are here with me today. What a joy. And I know we've already gotten to speak to each other quite a bit. And it, this is just going to be such a great interview. So thank you for joining me.
0: Well, thank, thank you, Megan. It is a, uh, it's a treat. Um, it's uh, a real joy of mine to be able to connect with, uh, with other musicians and choir directors. And uh, it's a privilege. So thank you for asking.
1: How did your childhood shape your future in becoming Roger Emerson, the world renowned arranger and composer? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, uh, to, to, to preface this, I say I'm like Betty White you hang around long enough and people will like you, you know, kind <laughs> <I think so. laughs> um, But quite frankly, I come from a musical family, I got the gene. Um, my mom was a was a professional arranger for live radio, like in the 30s and 40s, and uh, grew up in, in Southern California, outside Los Angeles, a little town called Downey, which is famous for the carpenters. And they were a few years older, we never actually interfaced much, but um, there was just music all around me, you know, from the very beginning. Um, my mother taught piano lessons, my dad, had, uh, my biological father had died when I was two and my brothers were seven and nine. So was a single mom. And basically, uh, she'd been accompanying groups and, and doing some arranging. And so she was teaching. Uh, my first recollection is uh, for teaching piano lessons, you know, when I was in our home when I was like three years. Mm. And we would uh, we always sang, you know, there was a grand piano, baby grand. In fact, I have it now here in my home was my mom's. An old cable that was completely uh, sort of restored, but uh, it has a lot of uh, sentimental value. But, um, you know, uh, we had a holiday tradition. I think it started shortly after my dad passed. Uh, Christmas Eve would be open house. And and mom would just, uh, maybe the first year she sent out invitations. I don't know. But from that point forward, we've had 40 or 50 people around the piano singing Christmas carols. The tradition goes on my brothers carried it on so we're at probably you know 67 years or so 68 wow. years of, of singing then my two older brothers were both musical you know uh i grew up in the in the era of uh the kingston trio and the modern folk quartet and the limelighters and of course they were you know playing in groups, playing guitar, singing. Um, and of course, I was the baby brother. I wanted to do something as well as they did. And so I, <laughs> I begged my mom for guitar lessons. And at the age of 10, I started playing guitar with a And I had a really fine teacher, fellow named Lou Morel, who is featured as part of the Wrecking Crew. If you're not familiar with that documentary, it's about the rhythm section that played behind, or basically all the recordings of Mamas and the Papas, the Beach Boys. All those groups, uh, they didn't play on their own recordings. The Wrecking record Crew did, and it was like Hal Blade and Tommy Tedesco and Carol Kay, and, and it's a great documentary if, uh, if you haven't seen it. And Lou was one of those, so he was he was connected to the professional music world. Uh, he would I, oftentimes he'd say, oh, I can't do a lessons this week. I'm, I'm flying to Vegas to pay, play behind I don't know Johnny Mathis or something." Wow. And, and, and uh, an interesting sort of sidebar is i i think i studied with him until i was about 14. and he introduced me to jazz guitar I thought i was going to be a jazz guitarist but then of course the beatles came to america and i i wanted to be a Beatle. i had hair and uh <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did you want to be one beetle in particular was was there one person you well, really Well,
0: Paul McCartney. Paul <laughs> McCartney is the guy to be and and I played bass and guitar so uh and uh and I was starting to write songs and things but interestingly enough my brother ended up uh, he had a group with R.C. Victor called The Match and they were recording uh s- some demos and they were recording one of my songs and I would have been 18 at the time and 17 or 18. So I hadn't seen Lou for probably three, three or four years. And he's on the session and I'm in the booth. And just to see the look on his face as a teacher to look up and go, this kid I taught is writing songs that I'm now recording. Uh, it was, uh, it was one of those wonderful, I don't know, kismet moments. So <laughs> anyway, so, so music was all around me all the time. Um, and uh, Yeah. <laughs> I loved it.
1: That's wonderful. It seems it seems like you've had a lot of kismet moments throughout oh your my life, goodness. right?
0: Uh you know, uh I, I'm I'm not particularly religious anymore. I'm I, I am spiritual. Uh I, I have some problems with organized religion. <laughs> but uh but I do feel that there is a there is a cosmic kind of connection. Uh I have had prayers answered multiple times, but you know, right place, right time. I mean who would who had moved from some Southern California at 19, the hotbed of music and commercial music, thinking, you know, I, because I, I was writing songs, pitching demos to major record companies, those kinds of things, and wasn't getting picked up, but, and I had a friend who said, hey, we're, we're, we're going to this little community college in Northern California, and we need another roommate, they had dorms, so there were three of them, they needed a fourth, and it just hit me at the right time, and I go, okay, I'm going, I'm, I sold my Moserite base and and got 200 bucks and and headed north uh, to this College of the Siskiyous in the unlikely town of Weed, California. Now, this is just north of Mount Shasta, which is 60 miles from the Oregon border. And Weed Weed was named after Abner Weed, who owned the mill because it was a lumbering community. Of course, now they're capitalizing on (laughs) this legal and in california so they you know they have i love weed cups and things like that but (laughs) so this this little community college uh 500 kids and i said i'm going to take some formal uh, music theory training because i had i'd studied with lou and i I could sort of read music pretty well but i had good ears and sort of you know i i understood where chords went because i played in a rock band and a jazz group Mm -hmm. and things so Better okay, go. you, you can't
1: just skip over that. You said you played in a oh. rock band, right? Oh. So I'm going to stop you for <laughs> okay. a second. So what was the name of your rock band?
0: Well, it, uh, it was originally, it was called the Argonauts. But for some reason, the the uh, lead guitarist, who was a couple years older than the rest of us, decided we should be the nervous system. <laughs> now, well, there was a, there, there was a group in, in the LA area called the Proteins. Which <laughs> protein, I don't know, but, but we were sort of, uh, uh, you know, we, we played like six times a month, uh, you know, and we make 50 bucks a man. Now this is when the minimum wage was a buck 65. Hmm. So, uh, it, it was really terrific. And all three of the other, uh, uh, guys in the group were really good musicians. Uh, I was learning, in fact, Ken, the uh, sort of lead guitarist, the leader. Uh, went on the road with Trini Lopez, borrowed my guitar because I had just purchased a, a Gibson ES-330 and he had an old Silvertone, he said, <laughs> but he was a great player and a great musician. So I was surrounded by these really good players. Prior to that, I was in a little jazz trio because um, I thought I was going to go the jazz route. Um, hmm. So anyway, yeah, it was uh, it, it was really pivotal because one of the things that we did every Sunday, I mean, we'd have regular rehearsals, is lift songs off of records which is basically what I do a lot of now as a, an arranger of pop songs for, you know, for choirs. Uh, you know, you often reconfigure them and rekey them, but you're still doing a lot of listening and transcribing. And that was sort of what I was learning to do, not knowing that, you know, I would use those skills. So Oh,
1: wow. So now so now you're at this college, community college. Now I'm at
0: this college, and I decided to take music theory and musicianship and, and those kinds of things. And there was a fellow named Kirby Shaw, whom we all know now as the Kirby Shaw, but he was unpublished. He was 28. I was 19. And again, talk about a pivotal moment of, you know, meeting someone who would define or change your life or certainly codify it. Um, Kirby was just a terrific influence, a wonderful teacher, entertaining, as well as just a consummate musician. And uh, he said, you know, I I think you ought to be a music teacher. (laughs) <laughs> mm. So I go, OK, you know, and spent two years with him and then two years at Southern Oregon University, uh, 60 miles north mm. in Ashland, Oregon. And um, yeah, and the rest is sort of sort of history. Um, and I came, I, you know, I finished my degree, came back to Mount Shasta, where I now live and uh, <clears throat> uh, took the first job I could get. It was at the K-8 uh, band, choir uh, general music, guitar, uh, everything under the sun. And that's when I started writing music. Cause I was, you know, I, uh, quite frankly, my, my worst group was my seventh and eighth grade choir. <laughs> I call it the S S a mud choir, you know? Uh. uh, and I stumbled on this piece by Joyce Eilers called bright. My soul with sunshine. And, and I go, and we, we did it and suddenly I go, this is working. What's working about this? Um, mm-hmm. And, and I said, you call yourself a songwriter. You've been writing songs since you were 13 years old. You're now 23, 24. You call yourself a songwriter. Why don't you take her format, which was this three-part mixed format with a very moderate, I call it the barra tenor parts, like F to D. It's sort of a catch-all. Put all your put all your young men on it, and it may not be perfect, but it works, kind of thing. Uh-huh. I call it the comp- compromise range. And basically, I wrote a song called First We Must Be Friends. And um, her, her concept was that the guys just sort of did little, little motives. So, you know, you've got to brighten up my soul. And the guys go, brighten up my soul. You know, two notes, brighten up my soul. <laughs> so um, my first song was, first we must be friends, first we must be friends. <laughs> that was the that was the oh. guy's answer, and it worked. And what did, so, did you think
1: uh, of the? You said you wrote you wrote that piece. I wrote the whole. Yeah, yeah. So where did the inspiration for the text? I know it's it's a simple little like ditty, right? It's a simple little thing. But what yeah. kind of led you down that path? Like this is going to be my first thing that I do. You
0: know, um, I, I wanted to. <sighs> I think already, and this would have been, uh, 19, I'm gonna say, uh, 74, 75, um, uh, already pop music was, was becoming sort of, uh, laden with what I considered inappropriate lyrics for kids. And so i wanted, uh, and, and you know, kids in middle school, they're budding, budding sexuality, if you will. And I go, you know, uh, I think it's important to be friends first. First, we must be friends. Uh, when the friendship ends, it's just no good. Touch me with your heart. There's no better way to start our love. That's the way oh. the thing went. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, it, it, you know, people ask about songwriting. Um, I was in a workshop with Weston Noble, um, years ago, and he he must've been close to 90 at the time. And I would always, when I'm giving a workshop, I always go to all the other workshops because as we talked about earlier, you never stop learning, you never. Best thing about being a a music educator, first of all, it's the hardest job you ever have, but the most tiring, but uh, you're always growing. And I I think that's really important, but he said something profound, again, talk about those those pivotal moments. Um, And he said, that which is unexplainable is of the spirit.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so when people say, where did that melody, where did Shoshone Love Song come from? Or where did First It Must Be Friends come from? I, I don't know. I'm a conduit. I sit at the piano and and it just comes. And some of it's better than others. Some of it's <laughs> truly um, amazes even me. And some of it is, ah, that's okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. I've used Shoshone Love Song several times with my uh, with my students. And it is just such a beautiful it really a beautiful melody. It really just sticks with you. It just stays in your heart.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I, there's something about tune smithing. Uh, I hear melody. I hear voices. <laughs> I hear melody. Uh, you know, you could play it. You could play any chord or chord progression, and and I hear melody over the top. And I, I you know, uh, I, I think I think quite frankly, vocal jazz, good vocal jazz uh, improvisers are really composers they're hearing they're hearing melody in relationship they're not thinking like an instrumentalist does about oh i'm playing a d minor 7 i'll think a c major scale you know kind of thing vocalists create melody the, the best ones you know when they're improvising i think songwriters do the same thing uh, from all that i've read at least you know mm. from my standpoint
1: when you're um when you're creating these melodies do you see um, imagery is there? Imagery connected? Colors connected? Like what? What is that process like for you?
0: Uh, I, no, I don't really see. I don't really see line or color. I, I, I hear shape. I suppose, or I know that. Okay, this this needs to. It can start here, but it needs to go here. Uh, and and I try and live with it for a while. Uh, but the best ideas come very quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. they, they do require fleshing out, you know, because what I'll do is in the old days, I'd run a cassette player and put it on record because I didn't want to miss anything. Uh, these days I do a voice memo on my iPhone, um, lots of ideas, some better than others. Sometimes you go back and go, I really like that idea or that was not so good. Um, yeah, so it's, um, yeah. So all I can say is I was just lucky, I, given given the uh, the job I, or the task. Uh, and again, I you know I could write a song for you right now. It might not be very good, um, but um,
1: yeah. Oh, I yeah. would love to hear the song from Roger Emerson to Megan Ferris, and I would like to hear that. Song.
0: Yeah. Oh, you you know, want to hear it? Can I? You want oh, me to play something?
1: Oh my gosh! Yes, please. This is awesome.
0: Megan Ferris, what are you doing? In old Michigan. <laughs> Megan Ferris. Oh, it's you again. <laughs> there you go. Okay. okay.
1: Oh, <sighs> that goes up there on just one of the greatest moments. Oh my gosh. Oh, okay, I've gotta have I've got to calm myself down now. So, all, right. There you um, go. all I, right, I do have I do have this question for you. What is the strangest place where where a song has just come to you? Like, can you think of where you're just like you were in the middle of doing something and you're like, I have and yeah, and we'll, we can keep this, we can keep this, you know, PG. But it, where are you where music comes to you and you go? I gotta go. Uh,
0: you, you know, the interesting thing is I I have awakened in the early morning sometimes and. You know, in that sort of, you're coming out of out of sleep or a dream, and and had a, a musical hook and cre- immediately mm-hmm. grab my iPhone and and just I, one three five three one to give me a key center and then I'll then I'll sing this little line um, that it's happened there. I've been on a paddle board uh, where I wish I had a, my iPhone with me, but I didn't because I don't trust myself to keep it dry. Uh, <laughs> Um, certainly, the shower. You know, if, if you're thinking about it, yeah, there'll be some things that come to mind, and and uh, usually the really good hooks uh, stay with you. Mm. They're 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 there, and that sort of is a bit of a test: is that hook still? Uh, if if I don't lis- re-listen to my recording, is it still ingrained in me when I sit back at the piano again or the guitar, and and
1: yeah. That's wonderful. So, so you talk about how Kirby Shaw was such a, a huge part of your of your life and he was a musical influence. Who are some of your other musical um, influences? Oh
0: well of course the Beatles mm-hmm. you know uh, and, and, and I, I say not just the Beatles, but obviously their producer George Martin, the fifth Beatle who I think really codified their music um, uh, so pivotal um from a songwriter and sty- and ability stylistically to to just really look outside the box if you think about the growth of the beatles over five or six years there was really amazing um you know i i obviously love jazz uh, growing up as a wanting to be a jazz guitarist and a fellow named george van epps who is just i still put it on every once in a while just the artistry is amazing um james taylor earth wind and fire mm-hmm. ambrosia All those, all those, those Yacht Rock. (laughs) I did a Yacht Rock medley, which is all that late 70s, early 80s stuff, you know, Christopher Cross, you know, all the, all those things, very pivotal. Uh, Lately, uh, I've been listening to, well, there's a great CD I love uh, by uh, a group out of Seattle called Groove for Thought, and their inspiration CD is just one of my favorites. Turns out that the, the sun and is it granddaughter of Jack Koontz, who I started writing with back in the 70s. It's, it's his son and granddaughter pivotal to the group and the arrangements are fabulous. Um, the other thing is is most, lately I've been listening to a lot of uh, A Great Big World. I did an arrangement called Rockstar several years ago, Ian Axel, he's really a terrific songwriter. Um, Duncan Sheik when, uh, from Spring Awakening, although we couldn't do much of Spring Awakening in the school. Uh, market the, the, the song craft really good um, yeah um, and a g- good friend of mine uh, to put me on to Dan and Shay and it's sort of part of my country stuff but it's they're great songs really beautifully produced uh, Josh Kelly another sort of organic singer songwriter and of course you go back you got John Denver and all those people so mm. yeah we're we're sponges we're, we're synthesizers we take it in we spit it back out Oh. You know that's sort of.
1: That's awesome. Four Thank freshmen, you so- high lows. Oh. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah! All that, all that tight harmony. Singers at, singers unlimited. One of the most uh, uh, singers unlimited. New York Voices. One of the most um, of all my musical experiences. Hearing uh, New York Voices live for the first time about ten years ago, I said, "This, this is it. This is consummate musicianship, con- consummate arranging." Yeah. So
1: mm-hmm. i so humbled you're, oh, all the time. <laughs> I just love how you can just go on. I mean, if I let you go, I'm pretty sure you could just keep <laughs> yeah, thinking watch about. Out. Yes, all of it, all of it. Um, so when you were in teaching middle school, which, by the way, what is your favorite thing about teaching middle schoolers?
0: I, I love their vitality.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I love their to, to see them becoming real people or people on their own, so, you know, cause that's when the whole thing about sort of separating from your parents sort of occurs. I just, I dug that. And, and I, uh, I, I think maybe there's a part of junior higher alive in me, probably, you know, <laughs> I'm a Capricorn. I get younger as I get older. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm at about 13 now. Um, but, um, yeah, I dug that, and and what I really dug is particularly, you know, I, I taught my first five years middle school, and then went on to the high school, and then I took a hiatus. Then my, when my own kids ended up at the middle school, the program sort of sucked. So, quite frankly, so uh, uh, Mary and I went back in and took that program over, and I taught it for seven. We taught it for seven years, and I, I was so much better a teacher the second time around. For starters, taught ta- 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 my kids to read, duh, and but also I was. We really were able to produce a pretty good product at the seventh, eighth grade level. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because I think sometimes go, oh, they're middle schoolers. You know, there's going to be droning. It's, there's going to be mud. No, you got to set the bar and mm-hmm. and work on on those things because they really are quite capable. So,
1: oh, they they uh they are so are they're a great age group and they're so. Um, loyal i have I have so loyal. often described them as being loyal because when they love you when you you've got them hooked oh. they are yours oh. and they they, they love you and they can't yeah they can't wait to get to you and like they and they will they will meet those challenges that you you present yeah. to them yeah so, well and,
0: and they don't have the distractions of high school girls cars you know all, football you know football et etc at the high school level you don't have those distractions so they're a captive mm-hmm. audience if you get them on your side so
1: hmm So you have this, this first piece, the first, first, we must be friends. And then do tell, tell me about the story about trying to get into the publishing business.
0: (laughs) Well, it's, it's at, at that point uh, Kirby, uh, Shaw had started publishing with Hal Leonard, his vocal jazz series, the orange covers with his picture on that we all have done horns on and beards and stuff. And, uh, so Kirby sent in, uh, I think two of my pieces. First, we must be friends and center man into the, uh, um, co- director of choral publication at the time a gentleman named John Trepp, whom I, I adore and uh, he's passed now, but, um, But I got a form letter back, said, sort of a form letter, said, thank you for your submissions. Uh, We really like them, but we don't have a place for them right now. That was the sort of euphemism for, I guess we don't like them that much. (laughs) And so, but as, you know, as uh, kismet moments will happen or green light moments, if you're reading Matthew McConaughey's book, which I'm not a big Matthew McConaughey fan, but he talks about his green light moments in Mm. his career, which And a green light moment was that um, a couple of years before I had, uh, I was teaching band and choir, and I was using this Learning Unlimited, this Hal Leonard band book, and um, the local music dealer, and local music dealers are important, please support them, um, knew I was using it. And he was, he was having a, the, the director of sales from Hal Leonard come out and give a workshop for area teachers on this band method. He says, well, I've got a guy in, in Mount Shasta that's using it very effectively, this young guy. So I went down and I met Bill Altus. And so I had sort of made this Hal Leonard connection before Kirby. I mean, they're sort of siloed there. So it was one division, not knowing what the other division was doing. But um, I had even done a little bit of, of guitar editing uh, for them. And Art Jensen, who was a vice president, got ousted in a power struggle at Hal Leonard and formed Jensen Publications and I was his first writer. He called me in and, and remembered the pieces mm-hmm. that uh, that Joyce I actually after Kirby had submitted them then Joyce Silers. I met her at a workshop said Miss Silers we look at these I love your work and she said where have you been all my life? I'm going to make sure these get published. She went to Art Jensen. He got ousted 3 months later in a power struggle, formed his own company, remembered me and uh, those two pieces sold uh, about seventy thousand copies a piece the first year, so. Wow. Um, but the but it just shows you when one door closes, uh, you know, a, a, or a window closes, the whole door opens. Is that I got mm-hmm. such visibility with this new publisher that I would not have gotten had they been published at Hal Leonard early on. And then nine years later, uh, Hal Leonard bought Jensen Publications, and so I was able to join the Hal Leonard family. Nine years later, sort of <laughs> around the back door. Kind of you
1: ended up with Hal Leonard, anyway.
0: Yeah, I did, and they're a great company. I mean, um. uh, just they're just the best, and um, just had some great leadership there. Emily Crocker, who literally I think changed the face of choral music, uh, and mm. it was so so good to me and helpful, and uh, yeah, and it and it goes on. Uh, I'm I'm just so grateful to you know this is my 44th. 44th year, almost 45, uh, doing this. And, um, uh, I can't believe it. Can't believe it. Um, you know, I, I think part of it is that, is that, uh, I, am a little ADHD when it comes to my, my stylistic, uh, preferences. I, I like the whole gamut. I've done everything from pre-K and, and kindergarten musicals all the way up to, of course, some, some fairly, fairly high level vocal jazz kinds of things at the, for the collegiate level. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's part of what keeps me uh, fresh, I think, is that I've never been pigeonholed of, I mean, I guess you'd say a lot of middle school people use my music, but then sort of a, a lot of high schools and some elementaries too. So, um, yeah, it's been, I'm very very fortunate, 25, 30 pieces a year for, <laughs> you, a, you can add them up.
1: What a great life. What a, oh. I oh. oh. I mean, we've talked well, about, I, we talked about this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I love, te- trust me, I love teaching. Uh, in fact, the only reason I stopped is, and, and I, I, I went on to the community college, did vocal jazz there and after middle school and high school. And um, uh, I would teach again in a moment. I mean, sharing music, uh, um, providing you have the right conditions. I mean, I, I see people struggling and usually it's it's that the foundation is not there. You don't have, first of all, you got to have a vision in your, by your administration and your community as to what they want and then you got to have the the proper scheduling <laughs> you know you gotta you gotta have the the proper the monies for music and perhaps an a company i mean accompanist there's all kinds of things that that made it really great for me in this community because we had a history of of music support for music you know we, we would have 80 and 90 percent of the student body involved in elective music mm. elective music i mean because You had parents that said, yeah, this is a good thing to do. You had, you know, administrative support, the the groups were good, you know, they presented well, kids wanted to be part of something good.
1: So. Yeah, yeah, that was going to be my next question to you um, was, what do you think it is that is the best recruiting tool for teachers? Because teachers are um, they're struggling with different challenges, scheduling. Uh, there are new programs there that, that um, where, where kids feel like they have to be taking the highest level classes and they give up yeah. opportunities to to take those um, art related classes. So what would be your advice to teachers as far as recruiting and keeping students in the program?
0: Well, you know, it, it, it's a tougher gig than it, than it ever was, you know, when when I was teaching. Um, it, because you do have all these um, calm distractions or challenges. Um, but I, I would say, I mean, there are several things. One is I have seen some movement towards, do you really need to take all those AP classes? I find people at college level saying, you know, it'd be, it'd be better to have you be well-rounded than have you distracted, or it's it would be more important. So, um, but from an individual teacher standpoint, um, I, I think it's I think it's important to build your community, and that includes your administrators, includes your custodial staff, the secretarial staff. I used to have a secretary. Who at the end of the year, because I always overspent my budget, would take everyone else's classroom money budget that was left over and <laughs> shift it over to, to music. <laughs> Ju- Julie Adams, God, I love her, um, you know. But 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 the fact is, you know, I would take the the secretarial staff out to lunch once a year. I mean, you, you got to mm. sort of work the room. Um, and the other thing is that, of course, I had parental support. I think it's important to have a, a you know. Half a dozen strong supporters that, when when you need to move the dialogue forward uh, with your site administrator or or whomever your next level is, that you've got some team to go in and say, "Hey, this is a we think this is important because administrators listen to six twelve people, you know. I mean, it doesn't doesn't take an army, and it's got to be well thought out. you you've, you've got to be aware of okay, what are the administrators' challenges in, from scheduling or whoever's doing that." What are the the other classroom teachers' challenges, and how can I how can I help them and fit in? Can I do a musical that is curricularly related, like Go West or Dig It, you know, ancient civilizations or The Adventures of Lewis and Clark? Because then you bring them into the fold, and they go, "Well, you are doing important work. <laughs> you're supporting our curriculum uh, because you're sort of an outlier there, and they're still that con- that." conception that well it's music it's fluff or art it's fluff and i just think you gotta go back to the greeks you know music and
1: and uh,
0: physical exercise to start the day which, I mean, <laughs> if we, if we really care um
1: is that how you start your day do you do you exercise every morning roger i do
0: i do exercise every morning i i've got ai um, well, used to go to a spin class and a stretch class and now it's all in zoom which I, we actually like better it's about oh i don't know six or eight of us uh that uh, uh, are on it and we can actually carry on chatting a little better on zoom than we could <laughs> in the room where it's so noisy and still get to work out um you know uh, my wife's very very in great shape she was a, a terrific athlete and uh, so she keeps me um paddle boarding and kayaking and mountain biking and all those kinds of things because uh, I, I really was never much of an athlete you know uh but i have learned to enjoy snow skiing and all that so uh, i try and I feel great. I mean, I can't believe it. You know, my body's gotten older, but I still, uh, I, you know, fortunately, I, I think I, I think I think clearly, and um, I'm still still excited about about writing music and things. It was a little tough during the pandemic. Mm. It was it was where I think uh, many of us sort of question: is this it? Is, you know, should we? Is this a good time to sort of? But for me, I'll compose till I decompose. <laughs> um, as I say, and 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 you look at, at John Williams, who's in his eighties and still writing and things, and you know, well into his eighties. So, um, mm. yeah. <laughs> so
1: you've you've yes. um talked about the marketability of accessible music, and in some other interviews. Um, and I know that when people think of Roger Emerson, they think. I know that he has music I can give to my, my students, you know, things that are are accessible. So yes, we really appreciate that. Um, What, uh, can you just talk a little bit more about, about that? Like, when did you decide, like, I'm going to write this level of music or, um, you know, when did you focus, you know, your aim towards that specific thing or figure that out?
0: Well, you know, I, um, uh, it's, it, it, part of it is that uh, is that i'm only capable of a certain level i mean uh I, i've always said they're much much more skilled arrangers i mean you know darman meter new york voices oh my gosh and kirby kirby shaw's fabulous arranger uh, um and um for me i i from a singer standpoint uh so i really i really try and fashion lines particularly if i'm doing middle school music where the baritinors have a not only a limited range part but, but a melodic part because they're going to gravitate to the melody so obviously i started off uh keep it simple stupid i saw what Joyce Eilers had done with her format you know and and it's achieving harmony via counterpoint via via multiple melodic lines as opposed to stacked harmony mm-hmm. um which is very hard to say you know which is a next level of singing um but of course, at the same time, some of my early, earliest pieces, you know, Blue Skies was a vocal jazz or with big thick chords because of my uh, hearing uh, the four freshmen and the high lows growing up. And my mom had a had a, a little like a quartet or quintet that did uh, those close voice chords. So uh, um, but, you know, the, the market, if we're, we're going to talk about marketing, is it's a pyramid and the best groups are right up at the top of the pyramid, a very small market. And mm-hmm. the groups that need the help uh, are the ones that are, that are, you know, the biggest part of the market. And um, Art Jensen, uh, who you know formed Jensen Publications, once said, don't forget the little old lady in tennis shoes in Kansas.
1: I am so glad that you're bringing this up because I feel like so <laughs> often people are um, you know, you mentioned these people that you're like, they, they can create more difficult arrangements than I can, but I am needed in a particular, like, it doesn't mean yeah. that I can't do what I'm doing. And I think people, especially with social media and everything around us that shows us all these people that are achieving all these things, uh, we may feel uh, like I'm not good enough. I can't do that, but there yeah. is a place for us and for our skills and we can work and be useful Absolutely. without well, having to be this other person.
0: Absolutely. And you know, you've got to be yourself. I learned that sort of early on trying to be others, you know, clinicking at 26, 27, you go, you know, I'm no Andre Thomas. (laughs) But um, but the other thing is that that I had a green light, a pivotal moment about my third year of teaching, uh, where I realized the music's a vehicle. Mm -hmm. You want to, you want to bring joy and um, not only joy, but what what do you want as an educator? You you want to equip young people with the skills to navigate life. Now, part of that is you, you got to be able to read, you got to be able to do basic math skills, right? But you also have to have resilience. And how, how do I how do I make you know lemonade out of lemons? Mm-hmm. And so I think I think once you do that, uh, it, because I was setting pretty hard, pretty high bar from a, uh, a, a musical literacy, musicianship standpoint. And I had to realize, Roger, you can back that off a level and be more joyous in your approach and inspire more. And in the end, you end up making better music, you know. Mm. So um, that, that was an important part of, of the whole thing. And then I've always tried to make something sound more difficult than it is to sing. And sometimes that is uh, a piano accompaniment that is that is just I don't know, just not one four five, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and also it is it is coming up with some, with some neat counter melody kinds of things uh, that that uh, a, a a singer will go oh I want to sing that line mm. that's a, you know because we all we've all found those oh I love where that line goes you know why I don't know but it, um, so. Yeah. I, I sort of do what I do and I guess it's, I guess it's working.
1: <laughs> I'd say so. I would say so. <laughs> so I, I better not
0: change, don't change now, Roger.
1: <laughs> tell, tell me about your, your newest, um, published project with Hal Leonard. Um,
0: well, uh, you know, of course the pandemic put everything sort of just, everything stopped. Everything stopped. Uh, I know that Hal Leonard, uh, you know, laid off probably 20% of their staff. They stopped any production at all other than their, uh, what, what saved Hal Leonard is that you've got to realize uh, only about 10% of their business is instrumental choral. Um, the bulk of it is mass market, guitar books, piano books, all everything you buy mm. off Amazon, uh, you know, folios, those types of things. So the good news is that when people are not singing in choirs, they were at home going, I'll, I'm going to work on my guitar skills. I'm working my piano skills. or, And so, quite frankly, that part of the company supported, you know, our our division, which basically, you know, probably cut in half or more. Um, so things have just been ramping back up. But lately, what I've, if you want to know what I've been working on, of course, it probably won't be in print for two or three months. Uh, there's a tune in the animated uh, uh, Pixar animation. Uh, I believe it's Pixar, Vivo is the title, and it's Lin-Manuel Miranda did the songs and singing. And there's a, a, a tune called One More Song that, uh, I, that I just finished. I'm actually waiting for the approved lead sheet because Alex Lacamoire, who is Lin-Manuel's George Martin, he's mm-hmm. the one that makes it all, whether it be Hamilton or Dear Evan Hansen or any of that, uh, that, that, that collaboration is important. Alex has to approve all the arrangements. So you want them to be accurate and and work from an approved lead sheet. I lifted the whole thing, uh, but I'm I'm anxious to see what the approved lead sheet looks like. Then I'll make my fixes. See where I see where I blew it, or or they want it a particular way. Sometimes it's just lyrics. They want the lyrics punctuated this mm. way consistently.
1: So share about your new books. Yes.
0: Oh, this is <laughs> it. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited. This is called the Hal Leonard Vocal Method. Now, i got to tell you, um, Hal Leonard has a whole series like the Hal Leonard Guitar Method, the Hal Leonard Piano Method, and they the same similar cover. It's a series. <clears throat> and I was about three years ago, I had a brief meeting with the vice president, uh, Jeff Schradel, who's sort of the product development manager. And he said, how would you like to do a vocal method for us? Okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to assign you such and such as an editor, and you guys go work on it. Well, I what I realized first of all, you know, it could, if it was a guitar method, pretty simple. You know, either you start with whole notes, you know, and you got to strum like a G chord or a G note. You know, I I mean, that's pretty easy, but a vocal method, people already sing. They already sing. They're not going to want to go hot cross buns. Hot that's not it's not what they're going to want to do. So, I realized early on uh, uh, that the song list was really important, that th- they, they said their target for these kinds of books is a 25 to 30 year old female primary, 25, 35 year old female. Uh, and so, uh, when I was looking at the, you know, how Leonard has access to so many songs, uh, when I was putting together the, the song list, uh, it was really daunting, but I go, I think when people pick up a book like this, they're going to look at the songs. And so, Um, then I, then I said, okay, so we're going to have these songs. How about if I write a lesson for each song on breathing or phrasing Mm. or vowel shape or all those things we as choral people do. And I said, and let me do about, I want to do some pages on posture and air and shape and, and working the head voice and those kinds of things. So I did the, I don't know, it's five or six pages in the book that are, sort of what we do as choir directors all the time, but mm-hmm. helping the lay person sort of uh, get some training, because this this is not really designed for a music educator, although I find that people are um, are, are going, oh, I wanna, I wanna use that with my voice class kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in schools, but I expect that, that voice teachers and then the lay person will buy it and go from there. The nice thing is that we did videos, so they're posture videos. They're breathing videos. There are warm up videos that, when you get the book, you get a code and you go online and you can see all the videos. You see, you get demonstration recordings with some great vocals on them. You get accompaniment tracks, and yeah, uh, and it sells for fourteen ninety five. I mean, it's like, what what a bargain! Twelve songs.
1: <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. So you're and so you're building this this foundation of vocal pedagogy and singing structure and like for the person who is just kind of starting. And I'll tell you what, when I think of like band directors who have to teach a choir oh. or yeah.
0: That's a great idea. I hadn't thought about that. Thank you. Well, you know, and again it was daunting cuz I go this is uncharted territory. I mean, again, there are uh, th- There are vocal methods like Bernard and things, you know, that, that are pedagogical and, and physiological and, and those, but this is not what, yeah, that's not what the task was. Mine is to somehow, much as, as I've done maybe with my early arrangements is uh, trying to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, Mm
1: -mm. you know,
0: keep, (laughs) keep, keep it simple, stupid Mm -hmm. and, and help people from where they are. Mm. To be better, as as I said, it's for the thirty year old karaoke singer that wants to get better.
1: <laughs> that is wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. So
0: I'm I'm excited.
1: I'm excited for you. Yeah. So is that already out and available?
0: Yeah, yeah, they're out and available. Uh, you can get them from your music dealer or uh, or Amazon, which is really easy. It's called the Helen. Under- this is the Soprano Alto edition, and this is the tenor bass edition, just songless, tenor bass, can't help falling in love, stand by me, take me home country roads, fly me to the moon, hallelujah, fields of gold, fire and rain, mad world, which I love, uh, haven't met you yet, perfect yesterday, and crazy little thing called love, so we've got something for everybody, the female, see, originally it was going to be one book, and I said, guys don't want to sing, necessarily want to sing what the gals want to sing, why don't we do two books, so I got two I pitched two books, but the, At Last, "Uh, Beauty and the Beast, Bye Bye Blackbird, Dancing Queen, Don't Know Why, Fields of Gold, I Will Remember You, Make You Feel My Love, Part of Your World, Rolling in the, in the Deep, Something to Talk About in a Thousand Years. I, I think I think they're very compelling to sort of a wide age group, and uh, yeah. the recordings are really good. And so anyway, yeah, I hope uh, people will maybe take a look.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. So can we talk about copyright? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, can we
1: <laughs> describe the the historical challenges that that musicians and educators have faced with copyright and how you've been a part of that discussion and and the solutions?
0: Um, well, if, you know, to start with, there's there have been estimates over the years that that we as either publishers or writers lose about fifty percent to photocopying. <clears throat> that's that's the starter. Now there has been much more. I think education over the past 15, 20 years about, you know, you just, you just shouldn't be doing that. And I think most people are pretty good about that. Uh, you know, sometimes, and, and there are some, there's some latitude in the, in the copyright law, for instance, if, if you order something and it's back ordered you can, you, and you've, you know, I suppose paid for it, or at least the intent is to pay for it. You can duplicate copies to use during the interim mm-hmm. and then, tear them up when you know when the the music comes or whatever that's good to know um but um i've always come from the uh from the standpoint that make every effort to compensate those who created what you're using Mm -hmm. some way somehow now that doesn't always that does not always align with the intricacies of the law for instance i did an arrangement I did a revoicing of an arrangement on a commission, and it was basically the same arrangement, but in a new key. And I I think I inverted some chords and things. And at the time, I said, "Well, just go ahead and buy twenty copies of this voicing. That way, everyone gets compensated, and I'll send you." uh, That paid me I don't two hundred fifty bucks to go ahead and do this. This basically rekeying. Well, it's illegal. You have to get permission to do that, and so my hand was slapped by. Uh, copyright people at Tresona because it was used in a festival and they said, no, you know, you have to actually go through the licensing process. So even though my intent was correct and, and the people that needed to get paid did, um, that I wasn't kosher. Um, you know, um, I think where the, where the real stickler comes with copyright these days is not so much print. I think most people know I should... I should buy copies for my kids. There's some debate about can they share copies or should every singer have a copy? Uh, I'm not sure. and again, I, I think people would debate, well, of course you can share a piece of music with another person. Uh, ideally, we'd like everyone to have a copy because it sells more copies and I, I, I think from a teacher standpoint, there's something about that ownership. I was I, you know, I made a big deal out of... You've got your folder. You've got your music. You're going to be graded on it. You better keep it in good shape. Boom. That was part of the educational process for me. Um, these days, the big some of the bigger questions have to do: Can I do a virtual choir? You know, I I bought the music, and I'd like to have kids sing remotely and put it together in a well. There's that there's that sync license monster, and that is when you put music to film. To video, it requires a separate license. Now, normally, the whole sync licensing idea was uh, or concept is when a song is used in a movie or a commercial, big major. Well, I'm just a teacher here in in California, Northern California, and I, you know, I can't perform, so I want to do it this way. Uh, and and so hope. The fact is, is that legally, you need to get permission. Mm-hmm. So I encouraged people, in fact, I went ahead and did some tests and, and, uh, did some requests of some publishers and I found the bulk of them got right, right back to me. The bulk of them said, absolutely, uh, free of charge, please send us a link so that we can monetize it on with the YouTube folks mm-hmm. or Facebook folks. Uh, but it's cumbersome. It's very cumbersome. And, uh one of the uh, copyright people at How Leonard said the law has just not kept up with changing times since there just needs to be some changes there. I, I you know I encourage people to do their best. Get permissions, start early, get permissions, move ahead. Um yeah there's some gray area when it comes to live performance. K-12 schools, my understanding, are exempt from performance fees like ASCAP, BMI. Mm-hmm. That was part of the deal. Now community colleges and colleges, most of them have agreements with ASCAP, BMI, et cetera, and their their auditoriums and things. Um, And there is some gray area about, okay, if I film a live performance, so my kids are on stage, I do a video. My understanding is, is that does not require additional licensing to post. That is like a live performance. Okay. Attorneys don't even agree. That's all I can tell you. (laughs) <laughs> so so it will ultimately it will take litigation uh but but it goes back to my first rule you bought the music you're performing it with your kids the original copyright holder the writer the publisher got paid mm. so but it's not grand rights you know we're talking grand rights then so did they get paid enough who knows cd mm. sales aren't what they used to be mp3 sales everyone's streaming. So every copyright holder is looking for revenue streams wherever they can get them.
1: So it's no surprise that, you know, schools are... um struggling, some not all, but many are struggling financially. Um, and so teachers want their students to be able to participate in things like solo and ensemble or right. vocal, vocal events and things like that. And there has been discussion um, across <laughs> state lines about how many originals need to be in a room at event, how many originals need to be purchased. And um, when I was teaching in Indiana, there was only one original that needed, that was necessary, right. but in Michigan, there are two that are two. necessary. Do you have any thoughts about that?
0: You know, um, again, I I, I think, uh, and, and it may very well be the result of legal counsel by uh, the organization that said, you know, you better play it safe, get the second mm-hmm. copy. Uh, part of me goes, what, you, I mean, it, I would think that, at least from a vocal music standpoint, it should be memorized. And Mm. so that'd be the case if the accompanist has the copy and the student hasn't memorized. Realize we can teach songs by rote all day long without breaking copyright.
1: Mm. Interesting. Once you
0: write something down, once you... Yeah, yeah. Mm. So that's my understanding. I don't know if that helps.
1: No, that it, it is helpful, and, I mean, it can be interpreted whatever which way by whoever is listening. And, and again, this is yeah. all just to, to have an important conversation and have people thinking about these things because when you're in your own little world for so long – I think that you get stuck doing certain things, or you think things are okay, or you're not sure. I mean, I yeah. think more often than not, there's the question of there's uncertainty, yeah. and um, and teachers are already so burdened with the daily responsibilities that yeah. they don't need to be thinking through copyright law and get on you know getting online and trying to search. In which you said yeah. people don't even agree. So what yeah. are we supposed to do? So no, I, I all of that is very valuable, and I appreciate that. Um, you had mentioned something about—is it called Arrange Me? Is that?
0: Yes, yes. There is. Um, this is this. This actually goes. You know, publishers like uh, I realize copyright holders and publishers may be one and the same, but in our business, and although Hal Leonard does own copyrights, they are primarily the print publisher for Sony EMI the print publisher for Universal, et cetera, et cetera, where Alfred Publications is the primary print publisher for anything that's Warner Brothers. So those are exclusive catalogs. Um, but uh, what, what I was going to say uh, is that you um, you want to make sure – I lost my train of thought there when it came to so – set that question again, Megan, was <laughs> –
1: Oh, um, the oh, it was just about talking about what Arrange Me is because you had arrange brought this up. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> yeah.
0: Well, and of course, we as educators have done little arrangements for years. You just do them. You know, your pop song comes out. And you go, I want my kids to sing this. There's no published arrangement available. And you scratch it out and maybe you do it once and who knows. Uh, but that's technically illegal. You can't do anything without permission. So I'd mentioned Larry Morton. Uh, who's now the CEO, he was president of Hell Leonard at the time, I said, why don't you become the Harry Fox of print? Now, if you're familiar with uh, mechanical licenses, if you're going to record a CD, you can, for most pieces, you can go to harryfox.com, fill out a form, pay your 35 bucks, and done. And I don't know if he took that to heart or not. I've never really asked him one-on-one, but about three years ago, uh, a company they had acquired, a couple of companies because they, they also do this um, with um, NoteFlight, which is their notation program that they purchased. That company also has a list of pre-approved songs, but Sheet Music Plus, which they acquired, uh, has been maybe the, the most visual, and they have this, this um, service called Arrange Me, and basically there's, there's like, I think, close to a million pre-approved songs. So you can look at the list. If you find your song... Uh, You can go ahead and arrange it. Uh, You're supposed to upload it with the copyright information they give you. There's no fee involved. However, technically, you're required then to download those with the copyright information for your own group. So if you price it at $2 a copy, which most people do, they want to stay consistent with what current market prices are. Because you can price it yourself, you know, wherever you want. Um, You're supposed to then download 30 copies. You're supposed to pay your 60 bucks for your own kids to have a legal copy. Uh, But the nice thing is at least there's a vehicle now. Uh, Now, it won't necessarily, the list won't include, for instance, songs from Vivo yet because it's a brand new property. You know, it'll probably be six months from now before you can get a hold of that. So, it may be sort of older songs, but you just have to go on, you type in a search and see if that if the song you want is available for arranging purposes. And then the idea, of course, is that you can then, through your social media or website, direct people to, uh, to Sheet Music Plus, where they will find your arrangement and they'll purchase it. So it's sort of a new direct-to-consumer kind of thing. Um, yeah, so at least it, it makes the thing legal and gives people an outlet. Um, and hopefully we'll find some some great new young <laughs> arrangers and writers Yay!
1: that oh, that that's... can't
0: that can't get in the, the traditional way. You know,
1: so. Oh, that's great. I'm Right now, I'm just even thinking of a student my husband has currently who is, I mean, uh, it's unreal what uh, he, the amount he can put out and what he does. And so I yeah. asked him, like, are you are you thinking about selling these like doing something with these? And um, because he's just very good. So so for anyone out there who has students who has yeah. family members who or it's themselves, then they know that this yeah. is available. And that is awesome. So awesome.
0: Yeah, well, and, and, and uh, you know, it really works during these, if we still have some virtual classes, if you're doing a songwriting class, now you can do it legally. And the kids yeah. can up, do it and upload their material. They can make it look great on the page, you know. And uh, I just think, uh, you know, some people say, well, Roger, isn't that cutting into your, you know, I, I stopped worrying about that a long, long time <laughs> ago. Fortunately, for so I've got enough momentum and, uh, and whatnot that I, I, I want to see. Educators have what they need to do the job, hard job.
1: Thank so. you so much. You're welcome. Going back to your music, what would you say is the the song that has maybe a special place in your heart, like a composition or an arrangement that you feel is maybe your favorite or holds a really special place for you?
0: Well, I, I think if you had to pick one, it has to be Shoshone Love song. You know, it was a it was a fabulous text. I found it at the at the local library, and, and it was supposed supposedly it was a, a book of, of Native American songs, but there was no song. It was just lyrics, and uh, I I was just in fact I the funny thing is just a few weeks ago I wanted to find more background because as we you know as we know more uh, we try and do better, and I I wanted to 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 find some more background information on it. So so that I could educate people a little bit more about its origin. I went to the library, and of course they were closed during COVID. So once they open again, I'm going to see if that little book and it was a little thin book is still there, and see if there's any prefaces that might that might assist me. But yeah, I uh, you know my my mom was great, a very fine pianist, and she loved Debussy, and that but she is fairer that contrary motion that I did on the chorus of Shoshone Love Song. That's sort of inspired by a, I don't know, neoclassical, whatever you would Mm. call, uh, sort of a Chopin kind of, uh, I mean, a Debussy kind of approach to the harmonic nature there. A lot of jazz. You know, if you think about jazz is a direct descendant. You know, if you listen to some music of the uh, Debussy era, it is, uh, you know, there's very cool harmonies. Uh, But um, um, so... That one, and, and most recently, you know, I did a setting of uh, Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening uh, by Robert Frost that just recently be- went into the public domain, which heretofore, if you could even get the rights, they were expensive, so Helen wouldn't pay for those. And But uh, it's, it's, a, it's a terrific poem, and, and of course, so, you know, you think about it, your your first impulse is, oh, I'm going to set it as a nice, languid kind of ballad. And yet, I sat at the piano very instantaneously, and ended up with this sort of almost gallop, bum bum bu-bu-bum, bum bu-bu-bum, bum 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 bum, like a like a a a a horse and rider, whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though he will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. I mean, it was kind of thing, and that is. Uh, it's, it's one of the few songs I said, I think this parallels Shoshone Love Song in many ways, but again, great lyric. Start with great lyrics. So there's two. <laughs>
1: I would love for you to talk about your family and Ryder um, talking about that journey. Cause you had brought that up and I thought, Oh man, that is such an important conversation. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, I'll start with Ryder. Ryder we've got two great kids. Uh, Ryder who is 34, Kayla who's 29. Um, very different kinds of people in many ways, uh, both uh, p- participated in music all the way through school. Um, Ryder was particularly a, uh, Um, just driven musically much more than Kayla was more of an athlete. And so she found joy in music and, and in athletics, but um, um, Ryder uh, in his last year of high school. And at that point, Ryder was still Cassie or Cassandra did an arrangement of Wayfaring Stranger, unbeknownst to me, I was, we've got a separate studio and I don't, unless there's a pressing project, I don't work evenings or weekends you know unless it's uh, something that we've got to turn real quickly and i I know that that he would come up to the studio and sing and play and i'd hear music and he'd record some stuff and so i did this arrangement wayfaring stranger and i didn't hear it until the high school concert Mm. and i was dumbfounded i sat in the program oh what's this and then i heard it and i go wow this is is pretty good maybe i ought to (laughs) give up (laughs) um but uh, shortly thereafter, uh, Ryder went off to college at the time, still Cassandra, and, uh, you know, did that, did that call home. No, I'm not pregnant, but I am gay. And, and so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've got a lot of gay friends. Then, okay, cool. You know, we're, we're here for you, whatever you need. Um, but about four or five years went, went by and never had a, 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 a gay relationship. Uh, always it was always with uh a um, a, a straight woman uh, mm-hmm. or someone who had previously identified that way or whatever and and uh, uh so at about five years ago sat us down and said, you know, I've been doing some research because I don't I don't think I'm gay. I was never attracted in that in that way. Um I, I believe I'm transgender. When I'm not a transgender mm-hmm. man, I, that didn't even cross my mind and as a parent I'm going why didn't I think of that uh, kind of thing mm-hmm. um, and uh, I go well you know we're, we're in what do you need and and um, so of course there was quite a bit you know you, 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 when you change your name you, the birth certificate gets changed everything gets changed um, and uh, I, I know that if you're I, I think it's still up if your listeners are interested if you go Ryder Emerson on YouTube you may find he chronicled the voice change. As testosterone treatments uh, kicked in, from a a a really good mezzo alto to a sort of uncertain baritone, it's like going through the voice change. Now he's settled out pretty well as a as a high baritone. But uh, I think I was telling you earlier that uh, he had a wonderful counselor. uh, That uh, you know, we did a couple rounds of family counseling. Of course, Mary and I were on board. You know, people say, "Isn't it hard?" And I go, "No, you want your child to be happy." And to be content in their own body. This, this, I can't, I can't understand parents that fight any kind of uh, anything be- beyond the any non-binary kind of sit- setting. But,
1: but you do talk about you did talk about grief with me.
0: Yes, yeah. In fact, uh, in fact, th- there is that feeling that Cassie has died, and that here's this new person, Ryder. And the and the counselor, uh, Audrey, said to us, just remember, it was Ryder all along. And suddenly it was, oh, of course. Trying to be Cassandra, trying to be Cassie in that Cassie body, mm. uh, and and so uh, I've I've never seen him happier. Has a great girlfriend, looks great. You know, we so, shortly after uh, after coming out to us, uh, you know, uh, we we helped with the pay for the top surgery, and he, you you wouldn't know it. I mean, I think as a parent, you fear you fear for, for any non-traditional uh, child that they'll be bullied or they'll face harassment. But the good news is that I, I don't think anyone thinks twice um, and whatnot. In fact, I think, again, if, there's probably some writer stuff that you'll see um, on YouTube, you know, sort of leave them to their own devices. So anyway, it's been a, it's been a great ride. And of course, Kayla goes on her merry way and she lives in LA and is in the tech world and
1: yeah. that's right you were telling me she's she's making more money than you are yeah yeah, yeah.
0: tech I just want to tell your your listeners something get out of music going to tech if you want to make money well you know speaking of making money I was told my students about if they were interested in be- becoming a music educator I said mm-hmm. this I said you will get tired you will get frustrated but you'll never feel like your life didn't matter
1: hmm that's beautiful.
0: So, so where's where's the you know there's the reward. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, obviously we want to make a good living, but uh, yeah, I don't think there's any educator who has any sense of awareness at all doesn't realize I am making a difference. Sometimes you're making a difference with a child you don't even know about, the mm-hmm. quiet ones. You know, you know, you know the hellions. You know, you're always having. Would you would you be quiet? No, just go. And then of course you've got the high achievers. You know, hey. Yeah, you can do this. I, and I'll be very proud of you. Um, and then, but I think there's a lot of kids in the middle there that just, they they if you're all in, they're all in too. And they find a very special place. It's what they talk about when they come back to reunions or remember when we, you know, mm. performed here, or did this or it's, uh, and it's very social and you need to realize that the experience is very social and uh, adapt to that. It doesn't mean that you can't have focused time. You got to give them time to be social. It's it's what I like to do. (laughs) Give me time to talk.
1: You talk about those kids in the middle. Can I share a quick story with you, Roger? Because it just came to my mind and it's about the kids in the middle. The ones that are just, they're compliant, like they, they're compliant. They're wonderful, but they're maybe not necessarily the ones that are way out there. You know what I mean? That are like always the attention grabbers necessarily. And the kids that you're saying, stop that, you know, so they're right in that middle It was probably my gosh fourth year of teaching. I had a student um, who I was I was in a practice room with her, and I and she was great, wonderful, wonderful young woman, and always did the right thing, you know, showed up on time, all of that. Yeah, and we were working (laughs) on yeah, yes, and and we were we were standing there, and she said, "Mrs. Farrison, why don't you like me?" Mm. And I. It just struck me. Like I looked up at her and I said, what are you talking about? I love you. Like, what are you, uh, what are you? And she just said, you just, you just don't seem to pay as much attention mm-hmm. to me or pay attention to me the as way you do pay attention others. to. Yes. And, and it, oh, it will never, will mm-hmm. leave me that feeling that I had and, and remembering that. You know, you've got kids on both ends that are, that are, yeah, it's easy to pay attention to the ones that are vying for your attention all the time, either through negative or positive behavior, but the, but the ones that are just doing the thing every day and showing up. And I was so, I'm so fortunate. She said something to me that takes a lot of courage to say to your teacher. You know, like why to say that and to give me an opportunity to express myself and to and to say, no, I do care about you. And you have taught me something about myself and about my teaching. And so when you talk about the kids in the middle, Roger, I just I thank you for letting (laughs) me share that back because. Sure that is a pivotal moment in my, in my own teaching yeah. career. One of
0: your green light moments. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I used, oh, yeah. I used to pass out a questionnaire. What did you really like about the class and what did you not like? What would you like to see changed to all my groups? You know, the kids know, you know, it's funny the evaluations that other teachers do on teachers or administrators do on teachers, ask the kids, mm-hmm. they'll tell you, they'll mm-hmm. tell you what's, what's good. And, and I had a similar, I, I feel like you have favorites. And it and it was a wake up call for me to make sure that I made every effort. You're gonna have favorites, but make every effort to make sure that you just don't show it or you try and spread the love as evenly as possible. So. Mm. <laughs> anyway, so
1: our, yeah, that's um, uh, well, and we're always learning, right? With that comes back to we're always learning, we're always growing, and yeah. going okay, okay, yeah. and 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 I would always rather have someone approach me with a conversation than to talk about not give me an opportunity to get better, to be a better person. That's right. I agree. I agree. So, hey, are you ready for this lightning round?
0: I hope so. (laughs) Here, here, I'm going to take a drink first. Okay.
1: Okay. Go ahead. Go Mm. ahead.
0: All right. Now I'm ready. Here, let me sit up my chair.
1: (laughs) Okay, great. So this is just like a quick one word or sentence answer. All right. Favorite food. Lobster. Hmm. Favorite animal? Dog. <laughs> Favorite Disney villain? Oh,
0: Cr- Cruella, I think.
1: <laughs> Just because she's got a great theme song? Yeah, great
0: but that really swings, you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's very fitting for you, Roger. Okay, ah. describe your wife, Mary, in three words. Um...
0: Uh, most capable woman.
1: What would be the theme song of your life?
0: Oh, my. When I fall in love.
1: If you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go?
0: <sighs> Boy, that's a tough one. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been able to go so, so many places. Well, right now, I'd, I'd go back to Hawaii sit on the, sit on the beach and there's nothing like the feel of the air and the smells, you know, mm. it's not, not very exotic particularly, but for me, it's a place of great, uh, peace. I
1: don't, I don't know. I'm from Flint, Michigan. So Hawaii sounds pretty exotic to me. Yeah, I, <laughs> I bet. Uh, okay. If you could have lunch with any person living or not living, who would it be?
0: Hmm. Oh, I, I suppose John Williams. Hmm. Yeah. I think.
1: I almost asked you earlier if you had met John Williams when you were talking about John Williams. I was like,
0: "Have uh, you met? I, I, I have, I have not. I've got a good friend, Paul Lavender at Hal Leonard, who is sort of his right-hand person and they spent a lot of time with him. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm in great awe of film scoring people. Um, you know, uh, I guess the other people, you know, come to mind. I mean, I'd like to sit down with Barack Obama, I think, and mm-hmm. find out what that was like. You know, political figures. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know, movie stars. Timothy Chalamet. Find out what what's going on. How how great it is to be young and beautiful. You know, and <laughs> you, you know that, that the world is your oyster. Don't blow it. You uh-huh. know, <laughs> kind of thing.
1: That's awesome. Okay. So one final question. What quote do you live by?
0: Well, love as many as you can, as much as you can, all the time, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it ain't easy sometimes, but I, I think uh, my mom used to say, uh, she, I was taking her to cancer treatments in and, and the last year of her life. And I said, what did you want for your three boys? You know, I'm thinking us to three boys. We've all been, you know, reasonably successful, all married to the same people all of our lives, and and that kind of thing, and have nice cars, nice homes, and you know, I thought she'd say something about that. She said, "I wanted them to love and be loved."
1: Hmm.
0: And the greatest thing I, I've got, to, I've got to admit about writing music and having people. uh, uh, appreciate it so much. I mean, I mean, the whole um, social media thing, particularly Facebook, has has uh, been just really. If you if you want to feel good about yourself, man, it's just terrific to have people say, "Oh, I did this song, I loved it," or you know, "Thank you for doing this," or uh, you know, I I don't got it. Plus, my family, you know, who are pretty good to me, although they keep me on my toes too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, never a dull moment, you know. I'm just dad roger
1: thank you so much i am so grateful to have spent time with you this was such a joy my privilege oh just thank you so much roger yay
0: you are so welcome
1: thank you for listening to sing coach conduct if you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more please subscribe to the show by clicking the subscribe button